Well, greetings, Grace Church. Good evening to everybody. How's everybody tonight? Good, good, awesome. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad that you've chosen to make Grace Church a part of your Wednesday evening. And I know that you will be blessed by what is done here tonight. Amen, amen. Turn to somebody sitting close by and just let them know you're glad to see them on a Wednesday night in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. My dad used to say, my dad used to say all the time, he'd say, it's a great day to be in the kingdom. And I was thinking about that. It's still true. It's still a great day to be in the kingdom. I'm glad to be in the kingdom. I'm glad you're in the kingdom. And if you feel that way, why don't you just clap your hands by way of welcoming the presence of the Lord into this place. Lord, we praise you today. We thank you. It is a great day to be in your kingdom. Hallelujah. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God. Thank you, as always, for your faithfulness and giving. Thank you for, um, for giving to the ministry of Grace Church, giving to the kingdom of God. And you can give online. You can also give on your way out tonight in the offering box in Grand Central. Now, a couple of things. Uh, if you want to know how much influence I have in this organization... Brother Donnie, I, I rang everybody's bell on Sunday and told you Sunday was the deadline for chocolate-covered strawberries. I, I just I, I laid down the law and put down the finish line, and lo and behold, it has been extended to tonight. So that lets you know about how much influence I have around here. But it is true, and I do need to remind you, if you haven't ordered your chocolate-covered strawberries for Valentine's Day, tonight is the deadline. And uh, that all goes to Sheaves for Christ. I think everybody's aware, and we do this every year, but it does go for Sheaves for Christ, which is missions. Uh, our youth group every year, of course, works to raise money for missions for Sheaves for Christ. And this is really our first fundraiser of the year. So support that um, and order your chocolate-covered strawberries. And they can be picked up on, on, on Saturday from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. in the Alexander Center. So make a note of that. And, and support this great cause. Another great cause you can support is on Sunday, February the 21st, there will be a blood drive in, uh, to, for Mike Tomlinson. That blood drive will go from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on that Sunday, February 21st, and it is for Mike Tomlinson. There's a need there, and you can sign up at Grand Central on your way out for that as well. And then one last announcement. Uh, we mentioned it Sunday, but I want to mention it again. Make sure you have it on your calendar. A night of worship on February the 26th. This is a Friday night. Everybody say Friday night. Friday night, February the 26th is the night of worship. We want you to come. We want you to bring guests. We want you to bring friends and family. We're going to have an awesome time. And it's not a concert by any means. It's, it's, it's not going to be a traditional um, service in that we're not going to have preaching, quote unquote, but it is a night of worship and we're expecting God to do great things. We want to see a move of God that night. So come expecting to be touched by the Lord, come expecting to be in his presence. Amen. You got it? Say amen. Amen. Before pastor comes to teach Bible study tonight, I want us to just join together and pray and ask that God would be with us tonight. Amen. Jesus, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to be in your presence. It's always an honor, Lord, to be with those of like-minded, precious faith and also to be in your presence, Lord. We don't take these times lightly, 
and we don't just go through the motions or the routine. We know that you have a word for us, Lord. We know that we're moving forward. We know the kingdom is moving forward. Our church is moving forward. Anoint what is done here tonight all over the campus. Let it all be to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. As pastor comes to the pulpit one more time, would you just clap your hands to Jesus? God bless you tonight. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see you. Thank you for being here tonight, as always. Thank you for being here, and I really do appreciate it. And um, just want to say that looking back, I really hurt my neck. thought I would share that with you. When you get to be my age, you kind of have to turn your whole body when you want to look back. And if you just look back like that, it, it, it'll hurt your neck. And I have decided to, um, I'm going to really start trying resistance training. Just refusing to go to the gymnasium to work out. So uh, it's going to be my resistance training effort right there. So just want to share a little personal things with you tonight. Just be a little transparent and honest here before we jump into our Bible study. Great to see you. Glad you're here tonight. And uh, thank you for coming out to Bible study. I look forward to it. And uh, I'm very thankful that you're here to um, share uh, with us and a time with the Word of God and uh, I hope tonight is you will feel that it's going to be worth your while to be here. Um, what a, an amazing service this past Sunday was. Just so very thankful for the moving of God's Spirit, how faithful God is uh, to meet with us every time we come together. Uh, he's always here. And uh, I've, I've not found God to just push and shove himself on you. But if you'll open up to him, man, he can do some amazing things in your life for sure. So uh, let's jump into Bible study tonight. I don't know how long I'll teach. I promise you I won't go over two hours tonight. And uh, so that'll give you some comfort. Uh, but we started a Bible study last Wednesday night. We have some guests here tonight. I need to let them know I was teasing about that. I'm not going two hours or an hour and a half or an hour Maybe not. We'll see. Anyway, probably not. Uh, we started a Bible study last Wednesday night that I'm calling Core Values. Tonight is part two of that. And uh, Core Values, just to do a little bit of review, is attitudes and beliefs thought to uh, uniquely pattern a, a culture. Core Values is a basic framework you can use to understand and analyze simple beliefs or rules about what your family church or company represents and how it practices. Uh, core values is operating philosophies or principles that guide an organization's internal conduct as well as its relationship with the external world. Core values are usually summarized in the mission statement or in the statement of core values. Core values is a distinctive set of core beliefs by which we measure our priorities in life. Uh, core values, is, it's many of our core values did not originate with ourselves. 
but were given to us by others along the way. So core values can show up in the form of life values. Core values determine how we live our life, how we set our priorities and ethics. Core values determines our level of character and decency. Um, And I presented all of this uh, last Wednesday night. If you were not able to hear it uh, or be here, please uh, go back to our podcast, our website, and you can find it there. Uh, There is a statement that I want to uh, repeat tonight that seemed to resonate with most everybody that was here. Uh, When it comes to church and its advancement into the future, when a church wants to change its vision statement or how it operates, when even a church wants to go as far as to change what it believes Uh, and again this Bible study came from Brother Tenney T.F. Tenney those of you that know him uh, how do you even describe uh, Tom Fred Tenney it's it's just not possible An, an amazing man but he said and 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 the advancement of vision and the advancement of church growth and and things you want to change you never move a fence until you find out who put it there and why. I wish, I, I would to God, I wish every family would endorse that statement. When you want to change family structure, when you want to change what you believe, when you want to change the rules for your kids and so on, you, you never move a fence. It's, a, it's an awesome principle until you find out who put it there and why. Number two, is you never put a gate where God put a fence and you never put a fence where God put a gate. And we try very hard to honor those two principles here at Grace Church. Have we changed things? Absolutely. I've discovered, and assuming the pastor of this church 27 years ago, that... Just the fact that there was a pastoral change changes everything. I've never seen two pastors pastor identical. So just the change of the name on the sign is a huge change. When you're a pastor that puts your name on the sign, I don't. It's not about me. It's about the church. But then when you start moving forward and you sing different songs, and, and, and I was born and raised in church, and when we started pastoring in in Youngstown, there were people there that, I mean, they sang songs that I never even heard and come to find out I liked them. And uh, there was nothing wrong with that. But last Wednesday night, my focus of the entire night was on traditional values. And I'm saying that for the benefit of our folks here tonight that are, say, 40 and up maybe, 50 and up, because we have a lot of them. There's things that happened in the past that we want to replicate over and over and over again. And uh, I remember when we transitioned from older traditional church to just maybe traditional church. I was so loud and proud one time that we were kind of cutting edge when we bought this building. And just, I mean, we're moving in a good direction, real progressive church and all that. Somebody said, y'all are more traditional. You're one of the most traditional churches I've ever been to. I'm like, well, what do I have to do then? Anyway, but even crossing that little 
chasm to get to what I thought to get from an ultra-traditional church to a more progressive, relevant church is the word I'm looking for. Uh, we had folks here that thought I just completely flipped out. And you just ain't going to heaven unless you're singing out of the hymnal. And um, I respect that. I do. Because traditional values carry a lot of weight. They carry a lot of meaning. They carry a lot of feeling with people. I have a lot of traditional values in me that you very rarely ever hear about. There's a lot of things I wish we could go back and do. But I don't feel like it's relevant anymore. And you'll have more people staying home if we did those things than you would having people come out to church. And so that's why we don't do it. I'm not going to reteach last Wednesday night. <clears throat> I sat down and had lunch with a man three or four weeks ago that has attended a church for over 50 years. And he said their youth, children, youth, all those ages is not growing. They're not attending. He being older than me, him and his wife were one of the younger couples in the church. You know what happened? The church refused to let go of its traditional values, and it doesn't attract people younger than you anymore. That's the problem. It's not heaven or hell stuff. It's traditional values. It's the way you like church. I went to a restaurant one time and ordered an appetizer, and it was off the chart. It was a combo thing. You got uh, you know, some nachos and some chicken wings and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I went back. A year later, it was in Alexandria during camp meeting. They didn't have it on the menu anymore. They replaced it with something else. And I said, why? Not that I would expect the waiter or waitress to know, but they said it just came from the home office. They took it off the menu and replaced it with something else. And I didn't get it. It was delicious, but it was delicious to me. And they take stuff off the menu when people quit ordering it. We were eating at a restaurant today, Sister Murph and I, and along with Noah. And she's asking us to try some of these desserts and I said, well, do you have it? And she said, well, actually, no. They took it off the menu. Well, how do you want me to try it then? You want me to just call up one day and you know, say, hey, can y'all make that real quick? I'm on my way. It was uh, flan or flan at a Mexican restaurant and uh, another one that means three milks. I forgot the, how you pronounce that. But said on a random Friday night, the cook in the, maker, the, the back will make all that stuff. And if you're here, you can get a piece of it. So what I do, come every Friday night and just keep or trying and trying until I hit, you know, one leg a night or whatever. And she said, we don't serve it anymore because no one ever ordered it. They took it off the menu. So in church, churches do the same thing. If, if you're doing something and it's not attracting people, I get it. You know, the preaching of the word of God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Okay, I get all that. But everybody ain't in tune with that especially people that haven't been to church in a long time or people that don't haven't been to church anywhere in their life. They're, they're not plugged into all of that. So sometimes you do things that helps draw people, and that's what we do here at Grace Church. We just try to stay relevant to our society, to our community, and so on. That's traditional values. And it doesn't mean what we're doing now is going to be the same thing we'll be doing 10 years from now. It may have to change. It depends on how culture goes and what draws people. I hope you all understand what I'm saying. That's traditional values. And with older people in church, when you change that, <laughs> you, 
you can cause some problems. I mean, people will leave or they'll sit there and pout on the bench for the rest of their life and not participate in nothing. They won't leave and go somewhere that is traditional. They're going to just sit here and, and just torment you the whole entire time for 50 years with this face. Okay, that's, that's traditional values. All right. Tonight I want to talk to you about personal values and then core values. Personal values or when I was a kid, it was called personal convictions. Has anybody ever heard of that? <clears throat> These are values that you live by. These are values that you as an individual live by. Everybody say me. They're me values. They're not biblical. They're me values. They are things that you think is right for you. Buddy, I'm going to stir it up tonight probably with some folks. I don't know who, but somebody's going to get stirred up over this. There are personal values or convictions or values that you live by, not necessarily because they are biblical or because they are heaven or hell issues, but because they are consecration values. It's very similar kind of in the general area to the Old Testament Nazarite vow even the New Testament. You may feel strongly about these values, but they can never, ever be imposed on someone else. Does everybody understand that? Um, last Wednesday night, I touched on men having beards and talked about how that became a traditional value or a traditional standard in the church. And there's, there's people here tonight that, that believes it's wrong for a man to have a beard, to have facial hair. I can't find any scripture on it. Now, I don't like it on my platform. I'll ask my ministry team not to do it, and I made it clear to them. I don't have any scripture for this. This is just a pastoral preference. I think we look a little more approachable and handsome and adorable without one. Actually, I need one to cover up as much of this stuff. What Brother Ben say? I just, I can't move my face. <clears throat> but I talked about it, but there are people, there's been books written by it, about on the subject. Um, I just feel like it's a, it was something that pastors introduced as far as my recollection is concerned, maybe back in the 50s and 60s, especially during the 60s when the hippie movement started that men growing these long beards was a rebellious thing. They were rebelling against society. They were rebelling against culture. They grew long hair. Women did things that I'll not enumerate and whatnot. But it was a, came from a strong arena of rebellion. We're rebelling against the way our parents raised us. We disagreed with it. So we're going to do the total opposite. And it led to all kind of crazy stuff. And I'm glad that has moved on past but a lot of pastors taught that as a biblical principle, and, and I've, I, I, I respectfully disagree. I don't find a lot of scripture on it. I think your attitude can make bigger sin out of it than, than actually doing it. But that, that's an example. Um, I know somebody very close to me. I love them dearly. But they won't wear, it's a man, they won't wear cufflinks. They won't wear a tie tack, a tie clasp. They won't wear a watch to them. It's, not, it's, it's unnecessary jewelry, but it's a personal consecration that they made to the Lord, and they don't impose that on anybody else. 
um, I remember Brother Tenney and others of our elders talking about back in the day uh, men preaching against women wearing certain colored shoes, certain kinds of stockings. Now, we giggle about all that, and, and probably rightfully so, but a lot of that was associated with women who lived a lifestyle of ill repute and that kind of thing, and they didn't want our women looking like that. Um, you can say what you want. I, I didn't particularly live back in those times, or if I did, I was too young to remember. I understand where they were coming from. I was taught things as a young person. Uh, some of you are from the same church, but there's a lot of things we couldn't do that we didn't understand. I understand it now. I still think, I, I don't think it was necessary to teach those things. I want to be real careful here. I respect it. I don't think it was necessary, but it was coming from a platform that to me was not relevant to our age and our culture anymore. Um, Drive-in movies because a generation or two before me, there was all kind of things happened during a drive-in movie that didn't have anything to do with the movie. Uh, bowling alleys and, and skating rinks and all that kind of stuff. People go out behind the building and do all kind of crazy stuff. It didn't have anything to do with the rink, but, uh, but people made the association. Uh, so that's where a lot of these men taught these things. And through the years, it became consecration values that all of a sudden became biblical heaven and hell values. want everybody to understand that. I'm getting that look from a few people that whatever. But as usual, you know, pastor's always right. And so you might as well just go ahead and buy into it and, you know, whatever. Uh, there's, there's people who fast a certain day a week or they may pray a certain amount of time every day. That's a personal consecrational value and you can't impose that on other people. I remember going through a cycle as a teenager that when, when, when you, if you didn't pray an hour a day, you were just going to hell straight up. I don't care what else you did. You're just going straight to hell if you didn't pray an hour a day and I killed myself to do it. And then realized I spent a lot of my hour praying Jesus, 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 another minute. Jesus, Jesus, down to 45 seconds. Jesus, and, and then I realized, well, I'm not praying at all. I'm, I'm just sitting here saying words. I, uh, I've illustrated that point many times. I know of a very sweet dear lady that I believe is in heaven right now and has been for a number of years that she would not drink certain beverages. Not alcohol. She didn't drink alcohol, but she didn't drink cold drinks. But she would drink a Dr. Pepper because it had prune juice in it and it was healthy. True story. So you have to be careful when you have these personal convictions, these personal consecration values, and you do not impose them on others. Now, here's a beautiful thing about this. This principle is biblical. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.13, Wherefore, if meat makes my brother to offend, or if eating meat offends my brother, then I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I... I offend my brother. And I understand that. I appreciate that. I respect that. If I'm going to lunch with somebody and they have a personal conviction about eating meat, and in this case we go back to the law of Moses, then I'm not going to eat meat in front of that person. I don't believe it's a sin for me, but if it bothers them, I'm not going to do it in front of them. And I'm not going to try to persuade them that they're an idiot because they don't eat meat. That's a personal value. Leave them be with it. Sorry for what they're missing. Aren't you thankful that the law of Moses is not in effect anymore, that Calvary came? You talk about preach. We couldn't eat crawfish. We couldn't eat catfish. None of that if we were still under the law of Moses. 
The scripture talks about honoring the personal values that others hold sacred. Um, they should not impose them on us, and we should not criticize them because they have these personal values. Now watch this in 1 Corinthians 9.15. Paul said, have we not power to lead a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, as well as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? These are personal values that Paul was expressing that he chose in his ministry to remain single. Either he was never married or his wife had died and he chose not to remarry. That was a personal value or a personal conviction of the Apostle Paul and he never tried to push it on anybody else and all of that. We know Peter was married because her, his mother-in-law had a fever. Probably just wanting attention from the rest of the family, but nonetheless, she said she had a fever. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, the Bible said, And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This is when the Holy Ghost fell and, and the whole church, everybody in the church decided to give everything they had away. This was personal values that these people had and they sold everything. I believe it's possible that God was looking ahead and he knew that Titus, the Roman, was coming to just wipe Jerusalem and Israel all pretty much off the face of the earth. And so by the time he got there, there was nothing left for him to take. It had already been given away to everybody else. Maybe that was a reason. I don't know. Paul and Barnabas had a huge disagreement over John Mark on one of their missionary journeys. Paul wanted to send him home and Barnabas wanted him to stay. They disagreed over personal values. They both had their reasons. Paul and Peter had a huge disagreement over personal values. Paul went to Antioch and was eating with Gentiles, a Jewish man. Of course, he had uh, Roman citizenship and so on, but he was eating with Gentiles. And some of the Judaizers, the Bible called them in the New Testament, they were people in the New Testament but still followed the law of Moses. They condemned Paul for it. And so Peter went up and got bent out of shape with Paul over it, and he wouldn't eat with Paul because of it. The Bible said in Galatians 2 that Paul withstood Peter to his face over that. I will point out when you're talking about Peter and Paul, probably two of the most powerful men in the Bible, amazing, world-changing apostles. Nobody is too big to be rebuked. People say, well, let me just be the doormat at the house of God. Okay, see what happens when somebody tries to walk on them. <clears throat> it's not such a great idea after that. But Peter and Paul had disagreement over personal values or personal convictions. <clears throat> apostolic power means apostolic problems. And we will always have problems and challenges over pioneering new territory. And we must be able to discern between personal values. And we can never develop a utopia, a utopia mentality. I want to say again. We're going to always have problems and we're going to always have challenges when we're trying to pioneer new territory in a church. It always happens and it happens with every church. But bottom line is I cannot impose my personal values on you and call it holiness. We all have our personal values. Now let me talk to you for just the next few minutes about our core values. I started off with this last Wednesday night. And just to give you a short summary of what our core values are, and I'm determined as pastor of this church, we're going to maintain these core values no matter what happens. But we believe in one God, and his name is Jesus. 
We believe in repentance, water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. This isn't a dreamed up doctrine. I have, we have scripture, lots of scripture for this. We believe in the infallibility of the Bible. We believe in the fruit of the Spirit. We believe in holy and righteous living. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that heaven and hell are eternal. We believe in the rapture. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in preaching the whole gospel to the whole world without prejudice. We believe in morality. We believe in decency. We believe in family. We believe in wholesomeness. These core values never change. But I want to say here tonight in passing, and I would appreciate all of you helping pastor with this suggestion. I would far rather be remembered for my passion than my discipline. Have you ever heard of holiness churches, holiness churches, they're a holiness church, they're a holiness church, they're a holiness church. I'd rather be known as a passionate church, a church that loves people, a church that welcomes everybody, a church that's kind, a church that's warm, a church that's friendly. I'd rather be known for that. I believe holiness is a byproduct of who we are. It's not our idol and it's not our God that we come worship every Sunday. Thought I'd get a little more support on that, but it's okay. I know of churches that I believe have accomplished this. They're holiness churches, but when you hear their name called, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. But I know of other churches when their name is called, that is the first thing that comes to your mind. And I'd far rather be known for our passion than our discipline. So in a, not a real quick conclusion, but you know, the landing gears out conclusion. Let me talk to you about what happens about the loss of values. The loss of values. When you when you lose personal values, and it's, it's happening, it's happened to people here at Grace Church, and it's, it's a sad thing when, when I realize it, but when you lose your personal values, you will develop an I'm entitled mentality, meaning that I don't have to pray like I used to. I don't have to fast like I used to. I don't have to live a holy life like I used to. Something happens. And it causes you to lose your personal conviction. Either you want to be like someone else or you're just tired of the whole church thing and I just want to embrace what's going on outside in the world and sin and so on. I just don't want to do this stuff anymore. But when that happens, it gives you an I'm entitled. I've done the church thing long enough. I've done the church thing hard enough. And I don't have to pray as much as I used to. I don't have to fast. I know what I need to do. I know, I know, I know and all that, whatever. When you do this, it gives you an attitude or a spirit of entitlement. Carnality does that. It makes you feel entitled. I have actually heard people say, I've lived this all of my life, and I just don't need to be in church as much. I don't need to pray as much or whatever. You never, ever, ever graduate from the school of spirituality. You never do. So when you lose your personal values, when you lose that personal conviction, that you, you take your relationship with God personal, when you lose that, you get a spirit of entitlement. 
When you lose your traditional values, you will develop a spirit of rebellion. I'm not going to do that because that's what my mama did and that's what my daddy did and that's what my grandparents did. So I'm going to cease doing what I do that I call living for God because my parents and grandparents and whoever else did it, you don't realize it, but you are manifesting a spirit of rebellion. When you lose your personal values, when you lose your traditional values, you've lost your buffer zones. You, there's, there's no more buffer zones. You remember I said last Wednesday night, I can drive on a highway without guardrails, and I have. I've driven Dills Gap. It's 318 curves in 11 miles. I've driven it several times on a motorcycle, in a sports car, three sports cars, two different motorcycles, three different motorcycles. And most of that highway, as dangerous as it is, there's people killed on it by the hundreds every year because they drive on it stupid. But most of that highway does not have guardrails. I can drive drive it. I've done it. But I sure like to get to that, that little curve on Deals Gap. They call it the tail of the dragon. Get to that little curve. And when you look over the side, all you can see is treetops way down there. If I can just see that little guardrail about that tall, it's your good. I don't need a brick wall. I don't need something that goes to the ceiling. But when I just see that little thing right there, it just gives me hope and comfort. And so if I know it's there, I'll hit the accelerator a little bit harder and just go a little bit faster around that curve because it's got a guardrail on it. But when you, when you lose personal values, when you lose your traditional values, you're giving up those guardrails. Traditional values and personal values. Everybody listen to Pastor tonight. When you give up those things, you're giving up your guardrails. If you go too far to the right, a guardrail will bump you back over. If you go too far to the left, a guardrail. That's why they're there. They keep you in the center. You don't go wild, wild. You don't be an idiot and an alien and a weirdo for Jesus. And you don't become this alien, idiot, weirdo for the devil either. You stay in the middle. You're not weird. You're just normal. But you love Jesus. This is what guardrails does. And this is why pastor does not... I have younger people talk to me often that says, well, why don't we you know, give up this, give up that? We finally gave up ushers due to COVID, not via your suggestion. I've heard people say, could we just quit picking up an offering? Dear, it just takes too much time and people just stand there and all that. Well, first of all, these lights don't burn for free at this church. We have to pick up an offering once in a while. But we, we've had to change all that. So far, it's working. When you quit giving, we'll go back to ushers. How's that? The box in the lobby is working pretty good. Online works really good. But these, but, but I'm, I'm, people keep telling us, can we give up announcements? I hear that all the time. Is there any way we can get away? Can we just put them on screen? People don't read the screen. And I know that because we've tried it. And then they start ringing the church office phone off the hook. Say, well, I didn't know that was going on. It's because you didn't read the screen. And the second thing I've learned is you don't listen to announcements either. But we have more of a positive conscience that we said it. You just didn't listen. But I hear this stuff. Can we, do we have to do this? Do we have to do that? I have people suggest we give up Sunday school. I've had people suggest all kind of stuff. There are some traditional values 
people have actually asked me to change my style of preaching. Now, I find that pretty <laughs> bodacious, or I mean, what's the word? That takes a lot of courage to ask a man to give up his style of preaching. Could you just calm down a little bit? Maybe sit down on a stool, get a screen up here and point, and you know, do all that fancy stuff? No, that's not me, and I'm not giving that up. I just like good old-fashioned traditional preaching. I just I preach the way I preach, and that's that. If you want a pastor to do that when I'm dead and gone, you can elect you one. But until then, this is the way it's going to be. Amen. You you getting my point? There's some traditional values. It may not be heaven or hell. I don't think you'd go to hell listening to a preacher sitting on a stool pointing at a screen, as long as you're living for God. I preach more traditional. But I'm more comfortable with that. That's who I am. That's what I do. There's just some traditional values we're not going to give up. There's personal values that we can't give. It keeps us in the center. I hope everybody understands that and determines that I'm going to stay on a straight way and I'm going to stay in the middle of that way and I'm going to make it to heaven. Israel had to march around the whole entire tabernacle periodically. So their point of view could stay in focus. If, you, if they only stared at it from one side all the time, their general viewpoint would be obscured and they would have a bent. So Moses, God, commanded them via Moses that you got to march around the entire tabernacle periodically to keep your focus balanced, to keep your perspective where it needs to be. I think that's brilliant. And sometimes you folks that sit in here every Sunday morning, sit here every Sunday morning, you need to go and walk around church once in a while. You need to go upstairs once in a while and, and listen to the teachers teach up there. You need to go out in the A Center and see what's going on. It, it wouldn't hurt you once in a while. Just take a viewpoint. And it would kind of change your perspective and you wouldn't kind of be so armchair quarterback-ish when it comes to church. Or better yet, go teach that class for a quarter. Yes, sir. That would do it. A church, as a church, we must never cease seeing the big picture when it comes to church. Church is never about you. And when it becomes about you, it ceases to be church. Church is about everybody and anybody that walks through that door, whether it's relevant to you or not. We, we stay, try to stay relevant to everybody that we can. I realize I'm old and all that, but we still try to stay relevant. Look around at this congregation tonight. There's a lot of youth in this, in this house right now. And we want to stay relevant to that. Okay. I want you to notice with me, and I'm concluding. <clears throat> let's... let's Think about America for the past 100 years, just for a minute. Let's think about America. Let's think about American morals over the past 100 years. For example, 100 years ago, having sex before marriage was unheard of. You didn't do it. Absolutely not. You all agree? Two? <clears throat> even a hundred years ago having sex outside of marriage unheard of didn't do it just didn't do it homosexuality was virtually unheard of a hundred years ago 
getting pregnant out of wedlock was truly unacceptable 100 years ago. I remember as a kid hearing very faint whispers about this happening. And literally on one occasion, the person who was pregnant out of wedlock was sent off to another part of the country until the baby was born and her parents adopted that baby. And the story was never told for years. That's how taboo this was. That was back in the 60s. Then, when World War II came along, cheating on your spouse became a little more prevalent because a lot of the men, most of the men were overseas fighting. In the 1950s, getting married as a virgin began to become more unacceptable. And now everybody knows where we are today, just on morals. It took about four generations for it to get that way. And at our current level of Christian commitment, where will the church be in another two, three, four generations if the Lord tarries? <clears throat> what concerns me about this is that the judgment of God was poured out in Noah's day because they were godless and married and marrying and given in marriage, which is where we are today. And Sodom was destroyed because of homosexuality, and that's where we are today. Those people lost their personal values, then they lost their traditional values, and they finally lost their core values. Why do you think we will escape if we do the same thing? Where this hit me so hard, where it hit me so hard, the man I'm about to refer to was a very sought-out evangelist, I guess back in the 90s maybe. Powerful. People received the Holy Ghost, all of that. Then he settled down and became a pastor. And he showed up here about nine or ten years ago. And standing in the room just across the hall back there behind the production booth, he asked me this question. He had been apostolic to the core, preached the apostolic message, preached holiness, the whole thing. Stood right back there in that room, right across the hall from the media booth and looked at me in the eye and said, Brother Murphy, do you really, really, really think in your heart that a person has to speak in tongues to be saved? Now, he didn't get to that point overnight. It's the frog in the kettle thing. Just keep turning the heat up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and a frog will burn to death in a pot of water never try to get out of it <clears throat> somebody has to take the responsibility and somebody has to be accountable enough to God and to the word of God and to preach what we believe and what I know to be the truth out of this book regardless of how people feel about it And I don't think you have to compromise our core values for our church to grow. Our vision, our vision statement, our whole vision concept, and a lot of you have been there, you know this to be true, came from what we would call a charismatic church. In our church, when we introduced that vision and implemented it, we grew over 75 people in a very short time. But we didn't change our core values. 
we just changed our environment. We changed our culture. We became holiness people that fell in love with other people. And we showed it. Bottom line, what happened? And we took a lot of folks and taught them just a different way to think about your core values. That you don't ram them down people's throat when they walk in the door and you don't flaunt that you're holier than everybody else. And you just be very warm and smile and welcome people and don't judge them. Don't judge. And that's what we did. In a nutshell, that's what we did. And it worked. And it's still working. It's still working. You don't have to give up your values to do something great and amazing for God. And I hope everybody understands that. And we've proved that. I've preached it many, many times. And I'm setting out to prove that you can be aggressive, you can be progressive, you can be relevant, you can be warm and friendly and all that and still be an apostolic church. And I think a lot of preachers believe that if you're an apostolic church, you have to be hardcore and rude and mean and boast that you're holier than everybody else. And I disagree. I strongly disagree with that statement. So, core values. And I'm very confident tonight to teach this. I believe maybe in some areas it needed to be taught, but across the board, prevention is better than cured, so that's why we're teaching it. And I wanted to teach it prior to what's coming next Wednesday night. We want to launch back into vision and start teaching vision and uh, getting you looking forward, getting you looking ahead to some great things that God can do if we are willing to comply with what he's asking us to do and what he's asking us to become. Does that sound cool to everybody? Everybody said amen. So thank you for being here. God bless you. You're dismissed. And we will look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. Bye.